0: and 90s, if you kept up with the Olympics, you knew that the United States was dominant in the game of basketball. There in the 90s when they had what I believe is the greatest player of all time in basketball, Jordan, playing and many others like Larry Bird and uh, others that surrounded that great team, they were known as the dream team. And they went every year to the Olympics and dominated and always beat their opponents, taking home the gold medal and proudly representing the United States. But the 2004 team was ended that great run. In 2004, there was rookies known as LeBron James, uh, Dwayne Wade, Carmelo Anthony, and others that played on that team, and they were just rookies. There was uh, Allen Iverson and other people that led that team, and in that team, they were not known as the dream team, but the nightmare team, where that team... Uh, win and competed for the Olympic medal, and ended up getting beat by Puerto Rico, and then uh, ended up losing that year. After that humiliating performance, the United States Basketball Association came together and said, "You know what? We're gonna we're we're gonna be serious about it this time. We're not gonna take this Olympic game lightly. We're gonna go in full force. We're gonna be fully focused on what our goal is, and we're gonna bring home." that gold medal instead of the bronze like we did in the year 2004. They went out and got the best coach they could, Coach K from Duke University, and he assembled his team. He kept the rookies that they had the year before, Carmelo, Dwayne Wade, and LeBron James. But they knew they were missing a key ingredient on that team. They needed somebody that was going to push them, that somebody was going to take them to the next level, and they needed a true captain for that team to be successful in 2008, they went and got Kobe Bryant. And when they went and got Kobe Bryant, Kobe came onto the team, and he pushed that team harder than he ever had. He played, you know, if if I watch NBA today, which I cannot stand watching NBA because they they don't play defense, but if you actually watch this documentary that kind of inspired this lesson, you can see Kobe was pushing his teammates because he actually played defense. He made his teammates better because he was pushing them to be better on offense. And he was really trying to get them to understand, hey, if I'm going to make you better, I'm going to push you to your limits. Well, one night they were practicing in Las Vegas. They were getting ready for, to go to Beijing for 2008 Olympics, and they were in Las Vegas practicing. Well, they got done with practice. They went back to the hotel, freshened up, and they went out that evening on the town. Many of the players stayed out till 4 o'clock, you know, doing their thing, partying and having a good time, but there was one player that stayed back at the hotel and got a good night's rest, and that was Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant stayed in the hotel, and when he got he got up at 4 o'clock in the morning, here he is coming out of his hotel room, whereas everybody else is dragging back into their hotel room. And all the teammates are like, Kobe, where are you going? He goes, I'm going to the gym. Gym at 4 o'clock in the morning, are you insane? We're, we're going to go work out as a team at 10 o'clock. Why don't you just wait and go then? He goes, I'm going to get better than you today because I'm going to get one more workout than you today and I'm going to get better than you. And that guy stuck with that teammate. The next morning at 4 o'clock in the morning, it wasn't just Kobe in the gym. There was about two or three others. And by the end of that week, the whole United States Olympic basketball team was coming together at 4 o'clock in the morning to get that extra workout in because they knew... That was what it was going to take to bring home the gold medal. I'm going to get one more work in, out more than you guys. And he had a great influence on that team. And when I watched this documentary, the documentary is called The Redeemed Team. So you had the Dream Team in the 90s, you had the Nightmare Team in the 2004, and then you had the Redeem Team in 2008. And this documentary is on Netflix, and I, I watched it, and it kind of inspired this lesson. But I thought about what would have happened if they didn't have Kobe Bryant on that team? What would have happened if they didn't have Kobe Bryant pushing them to be better? What would have happened if Kobe Bryant didn't make that team come together as one to do that? And I thought about, Kobe's just one person. But because of his influence of just being one individual person, he influenced all of his teammates. influenced his coaches. influenced that whole thing. And you know what happened in 2008? They went to... Beijing, China. They completed for the winter, winter Olympics and He led them to victory. Think about just one person and their one decision, their one dedication, and that led them to a gold medal. You know, the Bible talks about the importance of one. In Luke chapter 15, we see the importance of one sinner that repents and come home, comes home to God. In Luke chapter 17, we see about the one that came back to thank Jesus. How about the one mustard seed? You know, a mustard seed is so tiny, it's so very small, but what does Jesus say about the power of one grain of mustard seed? has the faith to grow into a full-blown tree. And that represents our faith. We have the faith of a mustard seed, we'll be able to move mountains. And you think about just one little seed that can grow into those things. How about the power of one sermon? Acts chapter 2, leading 3,000 to obey the gospel. How about the power of one missionary, the great apostle Paul, as he went out throughout the whole region, preaching and teaching that Jesus was the Christ. How about the power of one decision? You think there in Genesis chapter 3 about the decision that Adam had and Eve had to sin and how that sin entered in the world because of that one decision. But how about the power of one man? You read in Romans chapter 5 about how that through sin entered in through one man and how that one man that is the second Adam came and redeemed man from all sin how about the power of one this morning the title of our lesson is be the one you might be thinking I, i'm i'm in, i'm i'm tiny I, I, i'm old I, I, you know i'm not, i'm not really important in this picture but how about one can you be, can you have the faith of a grain of a mustard seed you might be thinking, I'm small, I'm, I'm not important, I'm not a Paul, I'm not an elder, I'm not a deacon, I'm not a preacher. But I'm just saying, can you be the one? I want to talk about how you can be the one this morning. Start out with me in the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter number 22. Our first point this morning from this text here in Ezekiel is be the one that stands in the gap. Be the one that stands in the gap. Of course, there's much sin that has entered into Jerusalem. There's much conflict that is happening here in in Ezekiel chapter number 22, how that there's wicked leaders and and they need to rebuild this wall. Look at verse number 30. This is a verse you are probably very familiar with. So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall. So here they are looking for somebody that would take them and lead them. He's seeking out among many different men. Notice this is, make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land, that I should not destroy it. But notice this next phrase. But I found no one. You know what's better than no one? Someone. Someone is better than no one. If they are willing to work, willing to put forth the labor, willing to put forth the hours, the commitment that it takes to be the servant of God that it requires. Be someone who is willing to stand in the gap. Here they are looking for somebody that is that will stand in the gap, take lead, take charge, but they're not willing to do it and there was nobody to do it. Go with me to Isaiah. We're going to see something very similar here but something also very different. Here Isaiah is in the presence of God and uh, there's these angels that, that they read about here. Um, King Uzziah Has died and they're sitting on the throne of God. But look down at verse number 8. This is probably another very familiar verse to you. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Here again, a very similar situation. They're looking for somebody to take the lead, somebody to take charge, and what happens? What does Isaiah say? And then I said, Here am I. Send me. You know what we have in so many other circumstances in life? Here am I, send somebody else. Or here, here's brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so. They've been doing it for years. Let them keep doing it instead of learning from them and, and letting them be your mentor for Christ. Why don't you be the one to say, you know what? Hey, I'll, I'll take the charge of that. I'll take the lead of that. You know, don't, I, I will help so-and-so. You know what's better than one? Two. You know what's better than two? Four. Any, Any number is better because we are united together in Christ. And we see here that Isaiah was willing to stand up and say, you know what, I'm not going to let the same situation happen in the book of Ezekiel where nobody was willing to stand up. I'm going to stand up and I'm going to do the work. Are you going to be willing to stand in the gap? Are you going to be willing to stand up and take lead and take charge for the things that are happening? Go with me now to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter four. So we we know Moses as a great leader, right? We know Moses as the great leader of the children of Israel as he led them and, and he does those things. Of course, he makes mistakes. But who was Moses before all those great things happened? He was a frightened leader. Look, look at Exodus chapter four, beginning at verse number thirteen. He, look at verse. We'll just start at verse eleven. So the Lord said to them, "Who has made man's mouth?" He said. I'm not a good spokesman in verse 10, so he he keeps making excuses. So the Lord says, hey, I'm not going to take your excuses. Verse 11, so the Lord said to him, Who will make the man's mouth, or who will make him mute, deaf, and seeing the blind? Have I not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth, and teach the ways of what to say. I'm going to be with you. You know what the Lord is doing? He's taking, taking away every excuse Moses can have. But, of course, Moses comes up with another excuse. Look at verse 13. But he said, Oh, my Lord, please sin by the hand of whomever else you may sin. How many times does that happen today? I really don't want to do it, so I'm going to volunteer somebody else to do it. Right? And that happens in every facet of life. It happens at the workplace. It happens even in the church, school, whatever organization you're involved in. People are not willing to stand in the gap. What about the church? If we're not willing to stand in the gap, if we're not willing to stand up for Christ as we're going to talk about more here in a few moments, you know what's going to happen? The church is going to die. It's going to dwindle. But we have to be willing to stand in the gap, be the person that God wants us to be and be committed to Christ. The way that, and this is kind of the application to this point, if we're going to be the one to stand in the gap, we got to be fully committed to the work of the Lord. Not not something, you know, that's just half heartedness, but we have to be fully committed to doing the work of the Lord. You know what Jesus said? If somebody says to go go a mile with them, what are you supposed to do? Go the extra mile with them, right? Go with them two miles. You know what that many people say that's going the extra mile. But I heard somebody say it like this Won't you will be willing to go the Savior's mile? Won't you be willing to go the distance that Jesus went for His cause? Jesus ultimately gave His life for us. He sacrificed Himself for us. But what about us? What are we willing to sacrifice? What are we willing to give up? What are we willing to say, you know what, I'm going to put that aside this weekend because I know the importance of coming and helping out on the door knocking or whatever event may be happening, being the one to stand in the gap. Won't you be the one? It only takes one And I want you to think about this. What if you're the one that stands in the gap and then others join you just like they did with Kobe? What a great scene that would be. Not only be the one that stands in the gap, but be the one who stands up for Christ. Be the one who stands up for Christ. You know, in Romans chapter 1, in verse number 16, there Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it, the gospel, is the power of God, unto salvation, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. We are not to be ashamed that we are Christians. We are not supposed to be ashamed of what Jesus did for us, that He came to earth, that He died, that He was buried and He rose again the third day. We should not be ashamed of those facts. We should not be ashamed to be a member of the church of Christ. We should not be ashamed of those things. Because we live in a culture today, you know what that, that happens? If you don't agree with the masses, if you don't agree with the political views of somebody, you know what they do? They cancel you. But you know what that should not do to us? That should not harm us and that should not scare us because we should not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. We should always stand up for the truth and don't worry about getting canceled no matter what the consequences are. If any man suffer, let him suffer as a what? Christian. There, there, there might be times in our life where we stand up for Jesus where persecution might arise. And we need to be prepared for that. We'll talk more about that later. We need to stand up for truth when it concerns morality. You look at the morality of this country. You see the things that are done, the things that they are made legal in our nation today and how far away they have gotten from God's Word. You know what we need to do? We need to stand up for what is right. We don't need to let them silence our voice, but we need to let our voice be heard because God will be with us and God's word is one that needs to be expounded upon and all, and, and said. We need to be, be standing up for truth concerning sex, uh, concerning morality and things such as abortion. You know, we, we see today different events that happened, all these different marches and all these thousands upon thousands of people that come together and they want to keep abortion legal. What about us that say abortion is sin, abortion is murdering of a baby? What about us? Why don't we let our voices be heard? We need to be willing to stand up for that cause of Christ. What about the issue of homosexuality? We need to stand up for Jesus. We need to be the one that stands up and says, you know what homosexuality is? It's a sin. God is... The the creator of life, he is the creator of marriage, and his plan for marriage is one man, one woman for life. And we need to stand up for that. We don't need to be scared and you know shy away from it, but we need to just simply say, you know what God's word says is one man, one woman for life. Matthew chapter nineteen, verses four through verse number six. And we shouldn't apologize for it. We need we need, we need to stand up for the truth concerning salvation. We need to stand up for what the Bible says concerning God's plan for salvation. We need to stand up for the truth concerning the church. There are many attacks today on truth and the attacks upon the church itself, but we need to defend the church by standing up for God's Word. Not upon... Uh, I'm trying to say this correctly. Don't, don't stand up because it is the organization, but stand up for it because we believe what the Bible says concerning the things... That we do and what we practice. We need to stand up for the Bible. Be the one who stands up for God. There's a song that I I'd never heard it until. I think I was in Nicaragua on a mission campaign. And a guy actually preached on it. And then I came home and heard it. It's what will you do with Jesus. Now there's two different versions of that song. And one of the versions actually says this. Jesus is standing in Pilate's Hall uh, forsaken, betrayed by all. And then he talks basically about how Jesus was left alone by all of his followers. And he says, what will you do with Jesus? I want to ask you this morning, what are you going to do with Jesus? You know, Jesus there, we can see in the gospel accounts how that he was left. All his, all his followers, the ones that loved him, left him. But what are we going to do when it comes tough times with Jesus? Are we going to be the one That stands up, or are we going to be the one that conforms to the world? Number two, not only be the one that stands in the gap, not only the one that stands up for the truth, but be the one that stands out. Be the one that stands out. Go with me to Romans chapter number 12. Romans chapter 12. This is a very familiar verse, I'm sure to most of you, but it really emphasizes the point that Christians are to be different. If people in the world don't see you as somebody that is different, then maybe you're not living your life fully as a Christian. Look at what Paul says here. We're going to look at what Peter says more here in in a second. But Paul says here in Romans 12, verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is a reasonable service. Now look at verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world... But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. What does it show us there? That Christians are to be the ones who stand out among the crowd. We're not to be conformed to the crowd, to be conformed to the masses, to be conformed to the world, but we are to be transformed, be different by the renewing of our mind, that we may be able to prove those things. We should be different. Have you ever been called strange as a Christian? I'm not talking about just, you know, maybe you know, different. But I'm talking about because you are a Christian. Why why is it that you come to church on Wednesday night? That's just strange to me. Why, why is it that you that you really spend a lot of time doing these things at church? That's just really strange to me. Why is it that you don't 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 use language like everybody else? That's really strange to me. Why is it that you don't drink? That's really strange to me. You know, that's what the Bible tells us to be is strange. You are commanded to be strange. Go with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. And notice what Peter says here. He says we are to be strange. 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse number 1. Now, let me ask you this. You might be thinking, you know what, I I kind of just fit in. I'm not really different than anybody else. Notice what Peter says here concerning those things. If we're kind of going along to get along and we've kind of compromised and we kind of fit in with the world, notice what Peter says here in verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered from us in the flesh, arm yourself likewise with the same mind. Notice this part. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. If If you are enduring suffering, if you're enduring persecution, if you're enduring those things, you know why? It's because you have made a break away from sin. You have not conformed yourself to the world. You have transformed yourself breaking away from sin. But the thing we notice here is we need to be willing to stand out because we might have to suffer for it. Notice what he says there in verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us. You know what would happen if we do not suffer? That means we are superior to Christ. Notice, what he, notice how he opens up this, this passage. Therefore, since Christ suffered, are we superior to Christ? Absolutely not. We are inferior to Christ. Since we are inferior to Christ, we need to be prepared to suffer. Arm yourself with the same mind, the same mind that Christ had, Philippians 2 and verse 5, and that is to have the mind of Christ. Look at verse 2. That he should no longer live in the rest of his life, in the flesh of the lust of men, but for the will of God. Who do you live your life for? Do you live your life following after the things of this world, the lustly things, the worldly things? Or do you live after yourself, after men? You can be one that stands out, that keeps your focus on the will of God. Not on the will of man, but on the will of Almighty God. Look at this third verse, and this is where we're getting into those things, that talks about how we can send out. For we have spent enough of our pastime doing the wills of the Gentiles. Now, <clears throat> one thing you need to understand here is anytime you see a, a parallel or a comparison talking about Gentiles, it's talking about those that are non-Christians. And those that are outside of Christ. He says, we have spent enough of our pastime doing the wills of the world, doing the wills of sin. Notice what he says here. When we walked, past tense, in lewdness, in lust, in drunkenness, in revelries, in drinking parties, in abominable idolatries. We need, to be, we need to stand out by the things that we don't do. Why is it that you don't do that? Why is it that you don't drink? Why is it that you don't participate in those things? Why is it that you don't go to parties and dances and things like that? Because that's what God doesn't want me to be involved in. He says there, we used to do those things, but we have repented of them when we walk past tense in those things. Now look at verse 4. This is kind of our point we've been getting to. In regards to these things, those things we used to do that we're no longer a part of, they think it, underlined it, strange. They think it's weird, in other words, that what? That you do not run with them in the same flood of dispensation or the same excess of right." speaking evil of you. You know what's going to happen? You're going to say, you know what, I'm not going to participate in those things. And because you don't participate in those things, they might mock you, they might make fun of you, but you know what we need to do? You need to be the one that stands up for Jesus, and not only stands up for Jesus, but stands out because of those things. And we need to be prepared to be made fun of because of our faith. We need to be willing to stand in the gap. We need to be willing to be the one who stands up for Jesus. We need to be willing to be the one that stands out. And lastly, we need to be the one willing to share the word with others. Be willing to, be, be willing to be the one that shares the word with others. You might be saying, Austin, I'm not a teacher, but I understand the great commission. Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20. There where Jesus said, go ye therefore and make disciples. I understand that I need to do that, but that's just not in my comfort zone. Can you be the one that can do something to lead something to Christ? Next month when you get house to house, you're going to get a poster. And on this poster it has 18 ways you can evangelize into your community. 18 ways. I'm going to give you a few of them that's on this poster this morning. I don't want to take all of them because I don't have enough time, but... I want to give you some ways you can evangelize that you can be willing to share your faith with others and be the one that might lead one to Christ. How about pray? Pray specifically for the lost. How about pray for your house-to-house mailings? Pray for those that they go into their homes and that maybe they will read it and call the church and ask for questions. Pray for those that drive by this church building every day that maybe somebody will call and ask for a Bible study or a Bible correspondence course. Be willing to pray for those that you come in contact every day with that the Lord will lead you to a, a opportunity to teach them the gospel. How about number two? A way you can share the Word with others is by inviting others. You know, there's a lot of visitors today, and that's great, and it's very encouraging. But what about next Sunday? Why don't you say, hey, come to church with me, and after we go to church, we'll go eat lunch. Invite people to church. Maybe they, they like to go to their church on Sunday mornings, and, but there's a gospel meeting down the road on Monday night. You know what you can do? Hey, I, I'm going down the road here. There's a great great preacher going to be in town, and I really would like to go with that. Why don't you ride with me to church, and I'll, I'll pick you up, take you home. We can even go eat before if you want to. If not, it's fine. But will not you go with me? It's going to be a great time. Inviting somebody to church. All it takes is an invitation. How about share a tract house to house or church bulletin with somebody? You know, there's a lot of little cards out there in the, uh, in the lobby area with different Bible topics, searching for truth and why are there so many churches. Why don't you just leave those at a restaurant? You give a, give a nice tip to the waitress and you just leave that. You never know. That's just one invitation. You never know the power of that one. Maybe leaving house to house at these different places. Taking them to the doctor's office and leaving them there at the doctor's office where people can pick them up and read them while they're waiting on their appointment. taking them to barber shops, wherever people can just sit and read. Take different tracks. There's a great track rack out there. What happens if the church goes outside of this building? What if they take the material that's inside this building and leave it outside for somebody to pick up? You never know. It might affect one person. That can change their eternal destiny. Take a church bulletin with with your information on it. How about do an act of service? Show somebody that you love them and doing that with them. Here's one that I never thought of before that's on this post that you'll be getting. Ask someone to read through a book of the Bible with you and talk about what you learn each week. You know what that's going to challenge you to do? It's going to grow deeper in your faith. You're going to have to be prepared to answer them questions, but you're talking to your friends about spiritual things. Say, hey, why don't we read the book of Acts together? Why do you think you might start out in the book of Acts? You're going to learn about church history. You're going to see different conversions. They might come up with different questions about salvation or baptism or whatever it may be, and they can ask you those questions. Be the one who shares the Word with someone else. I know I've shared this illustration here before, but I think it's worth sharing again with this point. Why was it that Peter was brought to Christ? Go with me to John chapter 1 to see the answer to this question. John chapter 1. Here they are and and they see Jesus. Notice here, John 1 and verse number 41. He first found his own brother Simon. And said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated, the Christ. Verse 42 says, And he brought him to Jesus. Now, we don't read much in the New Testament or even in the epistles about the brother Andrew. But you know what we do read about? read a lot about Peter. How that he took one person. He found Jesus. He found the, the Savior. He found the Messiah. He found the Christ. And what was the first thing he did? He ran and found his brother. And he brought his brother to Jesus. And the great impact that that made. I always think about Marshall Keeble. I don't know how the number of baptisms that Marshall Keeble uh, baptized into Christ, the amount, amount of people that he led to Christ throughout his lifetime. But I wonder who's the one that taught Marshall Keeble the gospel. Who's the one that taught you the gospel? And how many people are you willing to lead to Christ because of the truth that you have and the willing that you're willing to do for one. Save one. If you save one, it's worth it all. Be the one that makes the difference. We see there in that story of of Peter the power of one soul. What are you going to do this week? What are you going to do this month? What are you going to do this next year? Next year is just around the corner, a few weeks away. What are you going to do To make a difference. Are you going to be willing to be the one. That maybe helps step up. And step out. And stand up. And shout out. The truth of God's word. Are you willing to do that. Today. Maybe you here this morning. You're not a Christian. You can become one. By obeying the gospel. By believing that Jesus Christ is the son of God. By repenting of your sins. Confessing the sweet name of Jesus and be buried in the water, gave a baptism for the forgiveness of sins. If you read the book of Acts, every account in the book of Acts, they do that. They believe, they repent, they confess, and they are baptized into Christ. So they can have their sins washed away, Acts twenty two sixteen, and they can be a part of the one New Testament church, Acts 2, and verse 47. Maybe here, and you've already done that, and you need to confess, the, can confess your faults one to another, because God is faithful and just, and will give you all unrighteousness. First John one seven through nine. If we can help you in any way this morning, come now and together we stand and as we sing.